You are the light of the world, O God. Nothing can remain hidden from you. We, O God, are not the light, but we bear witness to your light. In this same way, may through these words of Scripture, may your light shine. May our eyes be opened to the glory and beauty of your goodness all around us. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Get all these microphones out of my face. Um, So there's a man born blind, a person who has been blind since birth. One of Jesus' followers asks Jesus how this man got this way, how he became blind. Was it something he did, they ask, or something his parents did to deserve it? Like elsewhere in John's story of Jesus, though, Jesus doesn't seem to answer the question, at least not in the way that anyone expects he would. Neither, he says. He was born blind, so God's works might be revealed in him. Even something like blindness, lack of sight, something that makes life even harder than it already is, even blindness, Jesus says, can be an occasion to experience the life, the love, and power of God firsthand. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Then he proceeds to spit in the dirt. He rubs the spit into the clay and he makes some mud. Then he takes the mud in his hands and rubs it right into the blind guy's eyes. It's kind of gross, but okay. Then he tells him to head down to the pool of Siloam, this spring that's known for its healing power. He tells him to wash up and return. The man does what he's told. He washes up, he returns, and he's got his sight back. He's suddenly able to see for the very first time. Not even see again, but he's able to see for the very first time. He's born blind. Jesus lays hands on him while he spits on his dirt, puts the dirt in the guy's eyes, then lays hands on him, and the man is suddenly able to see. One moment he has four senses to work with, and the other Jesus shows up and suddenly fifth is online, and it's all before his eyes. Faces, trees, hillsides, cobblestones, and streets. Every single shade of color is a whole new thing. He's seeing it all for the first time. He doesn't know much about theology. He doesn't know much about Jesus. He doesn't have an explanation for how any of this happened. The science behind it is a mystery. All he knows is it did happen. He's gone from blindness to sight. He's gone from darkness to light. And now he's literally looking at a whole new world. He has no idea how it happened. He has no rational explanation. What we're dealing with here is what we might be inclined to call a miracle. Now, I don't know about you, But I've always struggled with the idea of miracles. Even though the Bible is chock full of them, 
I'm ordained to be a preacher of the Bible. Even though countless people, even in our modern scientific age, have reported experiencing all sorts of things, from miraculous healings to changes of heart, maybe it's because I haven't seen any with my own eyes. I might be blind to them, you could say. Or maybe since I've grown up in a world where science seems to have given us such a complete picture of rules that the universe is governed by, maybe I just have a built-in inclination towards skepticism. If a guy who's blind from birth suddenly sees, there's got to be a reason. Surely there's got to be a rational explanation. Perhaps my world doesn't have room for miracles because it's been so tightly packed with facts, so full of explanations that there isn't any space left for surprises. Not much space left for miracles or mystery. Maybe I'm like the man born blind. I just don't have the eyes to see if a miracle comes my way. So maybe it's a problem with me. Maybe it's a problem with me and my eyes and the way that I see things. Or maybe it's also a problem with the way that we understand miracles and understand God's work and presence in the world. We tend to think of miracles as a pause in the natural order of things. We tend to define a miracle as, quote, an event that violates or is otherwise not in accordance with the laws of nature, one that is caused by God, end quote. It's this idea that the universe is like a machine bound hard and fast by all these laws and rules. It chugs along as a machine on its own, and one day, sometimes, God who stands outside of our world reaches in and changes something, depending on maybe how God feels that day. This idea that God will reach in, stop everything, suspend all the rules and cause miracles to happen, and so we tend to either accept that idea or reject it, depending on where you come from. This is how we tend to think of miracles, and maybe the reason a lot of us reject the idea together, because if this is how it all works, you start to wonder, if this is the way things are, why isn't God doing this more often? Life goes along as it should, but suddenly God reaches in, God stops everything, suspends the laws, and makes something extraordinary happen. I know for me, one of the problems I had with the idea of miracles wasn't just that I'd never seen one in person, or that they didn't seem likely, it was because they seemed to put God into a sticky space. Because with all the trouble, with all the pain in our world, and suffering, why not just step in and fix it for good? If one man who's born blind is healed, why not all of them? If one child is cured of cancer, why not the whole wing of the children's hospital? Like I said, this idea about miracles tends to put God into a sticky situation. So part of me wonders if the problem wasn't just with me, in that case, the problem would have been with God. 
So you can't really blame anyone's doubts if this is the definition of miracles that we have to work with. But you know, I've come to realize, as time goes on, as I get deeper into the scriptures, get deeper into my own spiritual life, that even the Bible doesn't think of miracles this way. Miracles aren't some sort of holy interruption. They are an extension of the way that God is already at work in the world. I'm not saying that miracles don't happen at all. In fact, I'm saying that if and when miracles do happen, they are an extension of the way that God is already at work in our world. Look at the text. I mentioned this in the weekly email. You know, I know that you are all reading, catching up on your early church fathers, so you probably stumbled upon this like I did this week. Irenaeus, one of the early fathers of the church, says that here, Jesus, in our text, Jesus is reenacting the story of creation from Genesis, the first book of the Bible. First, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In Genesis chapter 1, the first thing God does, hovering over the deep void at the beginning of the universe, God says, let there be light the light of the world. The same light that shone at the beginning of creation is shining again here. And then to heal him, Jesus spits in the mud, he molds the dirt, and then he applies it to the man's eyes. In Genesis chapter 2, God molds the clay dirt into the shape of a human being, and then God breathes life into him. This man in our story is being recreated out of the dirt by Jesus. He washes in healing waters, kind of like a sort of baptism. And Irenaeus says that in Jesus it is God's power as creator that is on display. The power for life that brought creation into being. The power that sustains the whole universe. The power that makes the whole universe possible. This power is at work in Jesus, bringing healing and life to this man. Jesus says that this man was born blind, so God's works might be revealed in him, and these are God's works, God's creative works, God's activity in the world. Recreation. This is how the Bible defines miracles, not with God distant, apart, waiting to step in whenever she feels like it, But it's a different way. Here's what one of my favorite writers, Cornelius Plantinga, say that three times fast, Cornelius Plantinga, he goes by Neil, probably a good idea, Neil Plantinga, says about miracles. Miracles, he says, are closely connected with God's other acts. The Bible seldom makes sharp distinctions between God's providence, God's everyday workings, with God's special providence, things like miracles. In fact, as Gregory the Great, C.S. Lewis, and others have pointed out, many of Jesus' miracles are small, fast examples of the big, slow work that God performs all the time. Every harvest, God feeds the multitudes with many loaves multiplied from a few grains. Every summer, along sunny hills, God turns water 
into wine. Jesus does the same thing fast and on a small scale. He just does what he sees his father doing, Plantinga says. There is, as Lewis puts it, a kind of family style to these acts. There's a family style, a family resemblance. Miracles are not exceptions where God is somehow absent, then decides to reach into our world and show up and act one day. No. Miracles are part of God's greater work on a small scale. Local. Intensified. Like an underground spring that suddenly bubbles up to the surface. Like a river that rushes over its banks to create a whole new waterway. The sight given to this man born blind is like a power surge. The same spark that was ignited in the Big Bang billions of years ago overflows through the hands of Jesus and into a whole new act of recreation. It's not an exception to the rule, it's God's family style, as C.S. Lewis says. God, miracles don't go against the grain of the universe. Miracles go with the grain of the universe. Miracles point to God's work in the world that is happening all the time. So in the end, this is good news for us all. It's good news for those of us who already believe in miracles, who have already experienced them, because it says that they are not merely isolated moments of grace, signs of a God who occasionally wakes up to do something. Miracles are a sign of God's power at life, for life at work at all times, bringing healing, hope, and newness in various shapes and sizes. Small signs of the greater goodness that we can trust our lives to and live them in the light of. Like the blind man, we can tr progress in deeper trust and belief in God's mercy in Christ. Because miracles point to a much greater mercy at work. But it's also good news for those of us who find ourselves, like me, on the skeptical side of things. First of all, I can now listen, I can see, and I can listen to people's stories without making judgments. But for those of us who have never experienced the miraculous, and maybe never will, it's good news because it means that the miraculous isn't just an explanation for the unexplainable a break in the natural order of things. Rather, it means that the same power and presence that made the universe possible, that made life possible, continues to be at work in some mysterious way here and now, in and through the world that we know. It means that our own eyes that have been sealed shut by the modern world can be open to the possibility that life is even more wonderful even more mysterious and even more beautiful than we ever thought it could be. And it means that we can join in Leonard Cohen's poetic affirmation 
that God is real and magic is afoot. You can imagine him saying it. God is real. Magic is afoot. God is real. Magic is afoot. This is the direction that miracles point us to. So either way, friends, whether you are a true believer or a skeptic, may you leave this place with your eyes opened to the work of God at the smallest scale as well as the greatest one. In each breath you take every day and the wind that blows across the ocean and the stars that shoot through the sky. May your eyes be open to the incredible love and mystery that burns like a supernova at the heart of all things, one that surges, one that flows into our lives and our world from the hands of Christ. And may your eyes be opened. May you see every day and every moment as a miracle from the hands of the Creator. In Jesus' name. Amen.